that'll be. Uh, Acts chapter 25. Let's all stand together, please, if you would. And uh, we're going to get here in uh, this passage. Uh, We just wrapped up chapter 24 last week. I want us to look in chapter 25 to get us started. And uh, we'll start in verse number 1 this morning. Everybody good today? Amen. I see the, the, the chairs are filling up, so people keep filing in a little bit at a time, all right? And uh, so it's good to see uh, everyone here this morning. Amen. All right. Acts 25, verse number 1. Now, when Festus was come into the province, after three days, he ascended from Caesarea to Jerusalem. And the high priest and the chief of the Jews informed him against Paul and besought him and desired favor against him that he would send for him to Jerusalem, laying wait in the way to kill him. But Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea, and that he himself would depart shortly thither. Let them, therefore, said he, which among you are able, go down with me, and accuse this man if there be any wickedness in him. And when he had tarried among them more than ten days, he went down into Caesarea, And the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, commanded Paul to be brought. And when he was come, the Jews which came down from Jerusalem stood round about and laid many and grievous complaints against Paul. What I want to draw out of this passage is the last phrase of verse number 7. You can underline it if you're in the habit of underlining your Bible. This, this This phrase, it just sticks out to me which they could not prove. They could not prove. This morning, the title of my message is Fictitiously Accused. Father, I I pray for your help this morning as we gather together and get in the Word of God. We're thankful for the day. We're thankful for the opportunity to worship you. Lord, I rejoice in the fact that Michael made a public profession of his faith today and followed you in believers' baptism. And we were able to be a part as witnesses of that testimony. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity that we have today to gather together corporately in worship, and also a time to unite in fellowship. I pray that you would empower me now as we gather around your word and ask for your help. Father, I realize that there are things going on today And it's very easy for us to be distracted. Lord, our service schedule is a little bit different today. It affects our routine and therefore sometimes it affects our mindset. Father, I pray that you'll gather us together now around your word. As we sit at your table and you break the bread of the word of God, I pray, Father, that you would pour into us. Give us exactly what we need today. That we rejoice in your goodness and your faithfulness. Bless us now, we pray. If you tarry, Father, we rejoice. But even so, as John prayed, come Lord Jesus. In his name and power we pray. Amen. You may be seated. In the early morning hours of October the 4th, 1980, a young nursing student was brutally murdered in a Chicago suburb 
of Oak Park. And following the advice of friends, a young Bible student by the name of Steve Linscott shared with police on October the 6th details of a dream he had on the night of the crime. The police later arrested Lynn Scott on November the 25th, interpreting his dream as a roundabout confession of a psychopathic killer. On June 16th, two years later, 1982, the trial was held and the jury determined that Lynn Scott was guilty of murder. Two years, almost two years exactly, following his arrest on November the 23rd, the judge sentenced him to 40 years in prison. There was one problem. Lynn Scott was innocent. On August the 7th, 1985, the Illinois Appellate Court reversed Lynn Scott's conviction holding that the proof of guilt was legally insufficient. He was released on November the 1st, 1985 after 1,802 days behind bars. However, on October the 17th, 1986, another year, the Supreme Court held that the evidence of Lynn Scott's guilt had been legally sufficient and reversed the appellate court's decision, but remanded the case to the, to the appellate court for consideration of issues raised by Lynn Scott not previously addressed. And so on July 29, 1987, the appellate court again reversed Lynn Scott's conviction based on prosecutorial misconduct, finding that the prosecutors misled the jury regarding blood and hair comparisons. And then on July 31st, 1991, the Supreme Court affirmed the appellate court's decision, setting the stage for a retrial. On July 16th, 1992, almost 12 years following the arrest, Charges against Lynn Scott were dropped after DNA testing exonerated him. The state's attorney, however, stopped short of proclaiming Lynn Scott innocent, only saying that there was insufficient evidence to try him again. Then on, on December the 19th, 2002, 22 years after his arrest, Governor George Ryan pardoned Lynn Scott based on innocence, entitling him to automatic compensation for his wrongful conviction. He received just over $60,000. 22 years. The saddest part of that, I believe, is that they never did find out who did it. But they took the easy route and convicted the wrong man. And they took what evidence that they had and they twisted things 
to make it to make it believe that this guy was indeed wrong. Change his life. Well, we've been looking at the Apostle Paul and what he has been facing. The fact that he has been in prison now for a number of years. When we get to this passage in chapter 25, he's been captive for two years. He had been accused of many things. Claudius Lysias could not find, the, the chief captain of the guard could not find anything he'd done wrong. He delivered him unto Felix, the governor. Felix could find nothing wrong. But Felix, you remember last week we talked about how Felix and Drusilla, they asked Paul to come in and talk to them about the faith in Christ. And the Bible says that Felix was under such conviction that he trembled. He trembled. But rather than placing his faith in Christ, he simply told the preacher to leave to go away from him, that he would call him back at a convenient time. But his true desire was this. He was hoping for financial gain. Rather than Felix being concerned about eternal rewards, eternal gain, he was looking at financial gain. And at the end of chapter 24, the Bible talks about that he was hoping that someone would come and offer him a bribe so that Paul could be let go but no one ever offered him a bribe. And so Felix, willing to please the Jews in chapter 24 at the end of verse 27, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, the Bible says that he left Paul bound. He could find nothing wrong that he had done. But just to please the Jewish crowd, he decided well, we're just going to keep him locked up. We, can't, we don't have anything to charge him with, can't do anything with him, but we're just going to keep him locked away. My goodness, how corrupt things can be. We get into chapter 25, and I, I want to deal with that last phrase there concerning the fact that he chose to please the Jews. Because when, we, when you think about it, that phrase shows up a lot of times in the New Testament. In Mark chapter 15 and verse 15, our Savior was delivered unto Pontius Pilate. And, Pontius, and, and, and our Savior was accused by the same council, the same Sanhedrin. He was accused of things that they said that he had done wrong. And Pilate was listening to all this and Pilate could find nothing that Jesus had done wrong. He found nothing worthy of conviction. In fact, Pilate's wife kept coming to him and says, Have nothing to do with this just man. I have bad dreams concerning him. Well, the Bible says in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15 and verse 15, that Pilate, because he was willing to content the people, he had Jesus Christ crucified. You get here in this passage, and you get to Acts chapter 12 and verse number 3, and uh, King Herod the first, or King Agrippa the first, who was Herod at that time, he had killed James the apostle. He had imprisoned Peter because he was going to kill him, the reason being because he saw that it pleased the Jews. You get here, and Felix keeps, keeps uh, Paul arrested. And then you get to chapter 25, and you get to verse number 9, and the Bible says that Festus was willing to do the Jews a pleasure. And therefore he was willing to send 
Paul back to Jerusalem. We would be naive to believe that we do not also make decisions based on pleasure. Can I get amen? So we got to ask ourselves before we move forward this morning, who is it that we're trying to please when we make decisions? For some, it could be somebody else. That's what, that's what Pilate's problem was. That's what Felix's problem was. That's what Festus's problem was. They couldn't find anything wrong that Jesus or Paul had done, but they choose to please somebody else. They choose to make someone else happy. If we're living our life for others, we can get in the wrong direction in a hurry. Amen. If we allow, if we're concerned about what everyone thinks and what their reaction may be, we can find ourselves walking down the wrong, down the wrong road. We can't make our decisions based upon everyone else. It could be that we make our decisions based on pleasing ourselves. Speaking of the last days, Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2 that men shall be lovers of their own selves. And in verse 4 he writes that they'll be lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. You can go to any sporting event and see people excited. Amen. More excited than when somebody gets saved. Amen, amen, and amen. More excited than when a young man gets baptized. People get more excited. People will find every excuse they can to go fulfill a life of pleasure and use other excuses to keep them from loving God. Living a life for God. We can make decisions based upon ourself and the own, our own choices that we make. But I have to ask the question this morning, do we make our decisions based upon pleasing God? Because the Bible says in Hebrews 11 in verse 6 that without faith it is impossible to do what? To please God. I had a question proposed to me this week. What am I, what am I doing that requires faith? What am I doing in my life that requires faith? That it's either God or it's going to fail. That it's either God or it's me. Or it's either God or it's somebody else. What in my life is it going to be or it's just going to be God? Trusting and living by faith. You know, Moses in Hebrews 11, verse 24 and 25, well, the Bible says that he, by faith, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Because the pleasures of sin only last for a season. They're always temporary. They're never long term. The results can be long term. The, 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 uh, the cause, what, 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 we re, what we receive from our sin, it can be long term. But the pleasure of it will only shortly last. Because it will not be long before we got to fulfill another lust. Before we got to commit another sin. Doesn't take very long. Well, Apostle Paul, he lived his life for the Lord. There's no doubt about that. As we see him, 
as he stands before his accusers, he's always putting everything back to Jesus Christ. Amen? He wants to, he, he really, he spends very little time defending himself and he goes back and he's just saying, I'm just living my life. I'm just doing what God told me to do. Amen? I, I mean, it's like this right here. Coulter Moore. It's like this. It's like when you go to someone and you want to give them a gospel track and they might get upset with it. They don't want your gospel track. I've used this response many, many times. I just simply say, listen, I, I don't mean to offend you, I'm sorry. I don't mean to offend you by doing this. But my God tells me that I'm supposed to be a witness for my faith in Jesus Christ and to tell others about him. So I'm just doing what God told me to do. I'm not trying to be offensive to you, but I said you wouldn't want me to not do what God told me to do, would you? That always gives an interesting response. Most of the time, they go ahead and take it. Amen. All right? So just be faithful. Just, just draw attention back to the Lord. That's what Paul always did. And yet, for the last two years, he's been sitting in jail. For the last two years, he's been sitting in jail. You know what we've done for lesser things? Get mad at God. You know what we've done for lesser things? Quit. You know what we've done for lesser things? Get bitter at other people. And allow bitterness to creep in us. Why me, we would say. Why not me? What makes me different than anybody else? That's a tough statement to make. You know what many Christians have today? You know what's keeping them from really serving God? They got bitterness in their heart. There's no place for bitterness in our life. In Hebrews chapter 12, the Bible talks about a root of bitterness troubling us to the point that it defiles us. We allow that root to sprout. We even, we're even happy to keep it watered. We're happy to see it grow because Steve, bless God, I didn't do anything wrong. They're the ones that's wrong, and so therefore I'm just going to get mad and angry at them. To the point that I'm so mad and frustrated with other people, whether they're believers or unbelievers. And for many people, the reason that, keep, that people stay out of church is because of believers. I didn't save anybody. The only one that matters is my relationship with Jesus Christ. Hello? But we allow that bitterness to root. We begin to let it creep in. And somebody said something that offended us or hurt our feelings. Or somebody fictitiously accused us of something. One thing that I've learned through the years is this. 
They say in the court of law that everyone is innocent until proven guilty. Is that true? That is not how it works in the law of public opinion. In the law of public opinion, you're guilty if somebody can get someone else to believe them. Amen. So in Paul's case, he's been in jail for the last two years. And as I read this, and he's been fictitiously accused time after time again, and nobody can give him a reason for being there. Nobody can say, this is why we have you locked up. Nobody can present anything that says, I believe you're guilty. Nobody can do that. I might get a little bitter about that. But Paul doesn't get bitter about that. So how does he handle it? That's what I want us to look at this morning. I want you to look at verse number 8. In verse number 8 of chapter 25, while he answered for himself, he, they, they offered in verse 7, they laid many and grievous complaints against Paul. Okay? This is, a, this is interesting thing. He's been locked up for two years. Felix has been removed from office. Festus comes in. After three days, Festus goes from Caesarea to Jerusalem. He gets to Jerusalem. He's not even there no time. And here comes, here comes the council. They find Festus and said, Hey, do you know that you got a prisoner of ours locked up that we would love for him to come back to Jerusalem so that we could try him? They didn't waste any time. There's a, new, there's a new regime here. There's somebody else in charge. So they just go to him and they say, Listen, we would like to bring Paul back to Jerusalem so that we can try him. And Festus listens to them and he says, no, I'm not going to send him back to Jerusalem. You guys, you can come back with me. In a few days, I'm going to go back to Caesarea and we'll try him there. And so the, it says in 10 days, he goes back up to Caesarea. The next day, he goes to the judgment seat and he brings out Paul and he has the council prevent, uh, to offer their, uh, their prosecution and they talk about why he is wrong. And Festus goes on and he says later in the chapter, he says, I, they didn't bring accusations that I expected them to bring. It was mainly about their superstition, as he calls it. And he says, they wanted him to go back to Jerusalem. And he gives, he gives thought to that. And he hears their grievous comments that are made. And Paul responds in verse number 8. This is his very brief response. While he answered him for himself, neither against the law of the Jews, neither against the temple, nor yet against Caesar, have I offended anything at all. That's all he says. I hadn't done anything wrong. He doesn't give evidence. He doesn't spend a lot of time doing all of that. He knows that their, their prosecution is so weak. He just simply says, whether it's against the, the law, I didn't do it. Against the temple, I didn't do it. And if it's against Caesar that I'm accused, I didn't offend anything at all. I want you to look in verse 24 with me, same chapter. Verse 24. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all men which are here present with us, you see this man about whom all the multitude of the Jews have dealt with me both at Jerusalem and also here crying that he ought not to live any longer. But when I found that he committed nothing worthy of death, nothing worthy of death. Well, here's something. 
when you're fictitiously accused or you have a reason to grow bitter about somebody, I want to encourage you to remain guiltless. Remain guiltless. I feel like I'm in church all by myself this morning. It is very hard to preach today. Here's what you don't do. Brent, here's what you don't do. If you didn't do anything wrong, keep it that way. Let the Lord handle it. Amen? Remain guiltless. You know what? I'm going to pick on you again. Stand up. Yeah, that's what I want. That's what I want from you right there. All right? If somebody punches you, what's your initial reaction? Yeah, you ought to punch back, right? Yeah, you're going you're to move down this end later, right? If somebody throws a punch, the reaction is always, well, I'm going to punch back. Is that what Jesus did? No, it's not. So the first thing is just remain guiltless. All right? If you didn't do anything wrong to start with, don't mess it up by doing something wrong now. If you was worried about your testimony all this time, don't blow it. Don't blow it now by letting somebody get to you. All right? Because sometimes somebody's going to hurt your feelings. Sometimes something is going to be said about you or somebody, something about your loved ones. And you're going to get mad and you're going to get frustrated and probably your initial reaction is this, I'm just, I just don't like them, I'm not going to speak to them, I'm not going to have anything to do with them. And you allow bitterness to grow in your own life. And that affects you. It affects you spiritually. I'm not going to talk to them. I'm not even going to go their direction. I'm not even going to look at them. Remain guiltless. Paul could keep his head up. The second one is this right here. Trust the sovereignty of God. He says in verse number 11, If I be an offender or have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. But if there be none of these things whereof these accuse me, no man may deliver me unto them. And he says, I appeal unto Caesar. Why did he do that? Well, just a few chapters ago we looked at that Paul said, be of good cheer, Paul. If you testify to me in Jerusalem, you'll also testify of me in Rome. Paul, God made it very clear Paul's going to get to Rome. Amen? So he's just trusting the sovereignty of God. He's trusting the sovereignty of God. Just let the Lord take care of it. Let the Lord work things out. I think of Joseph in the Old Testament. Joseph was wrongly accused, amen? He was wrongly accused when others might have committed the sin. And he ended up in jail, and we know what all took place there. He even, he even uh, interpreted the dream of one of his cellmates who was released, and the cellmate said, I'm going to remember you when I get out of here. And you know what? He didn't remember him for two years. And all of that time, Joseph refused to turn his back on God and refused to allow bitterness in his heart. 
And he finally got to a place where God was wanting to get him to all alone. And he could testify at the end of chapter 50 to his brothers, you meant this unto me for evil. You meant this unto me for wrong, but God meant it unto good. God was in control of it all along. Amen? God got us where we're supposed to be. He trusted in the sovereignty of God. Daniel, Daniel in chapter 6, he could not petition anyone else except for Nebuchadnezzar or, or except the king. And there was, there was Daniel, as it was told that he could not do. He opened up his window as he always done, morning, noon, and night, and he prayed to his God. And as a result, he was, was brought and he was thrown into the lion's den. And he could have a reason to get bitter. But he just spent time with God and God protected him that night. And as a result, it affected the king and it affected so many others who believed that Daniel's God had to be the one true God. Do you realize, do you realize this, Miss Lorene? Sometimes we go through things so that God can reach more people. We're going through a storm, we're going through a trial, we're going through something that we think, I don't deserve to be here, but we're going through that because God's going to use our testimony to reach more. When Paul gets to Rome, he writes many of his epistles. He writes many of the letters that we have in our New Testament. He reaches many of those who are in Rome, including those in Caesar's household. How else are you going to get there? There are many... There are many people throughout the Bible who had reason to become bitter and angry at the Lord, but they trusted the sovereignty of God, and God would take care of it. Now turn your Bible to Matthew chapter 5. Would you do this, please? We need to forgive. Matthew chapter 5. Look with me this morning in verse 43. Jesus says, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if, we, if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Love your neighbor and love your enemies. Bless them that curse you and do good to them that hate you. You know what it will help you to do? Pray for those. Pray for others. Amen? That one that offended you, pray for them. It will change your heart. God bless them and don't do it with grit, gritted teeth. God bless them. Help them. Use them. Pour your blessing out upon them. Minister to them. Whatever need that they have, may you meet that need. Because as far as I understand, we're all sinners who fall short of the glory of God. And if we've been forgiven, we need to forgive others, right? 
We need Christ to forgive them. And we need to remain guiltless. We need to trust in the sovereignty of God. And we need our heart to be in a place where it is kind and loving and forgiving and helpful to others. I'll give you to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll turn here and we'll be done this morning. Ephesians chapter 4 in verse number 30. We'll start because you probably know verse 30. But we'll see how it relates to bitterness. Ephesians 4 and verse 30 Paul says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. How many of you will testify to this? We need the God's spirit and power working in our life. We need it in our life. We need it. He's making intercession for us. When we don't know what to pray for, the spirit knows that what we stand in need of. We need God's spirit and his power in our life. And we're not to grieve that spirit. Well, how can we do that? We'll look at verse 39. 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Now think of all those things, wrath and anger, clamor and evil speaking. Bitterness hangs right in there with them. Let those things be put away from you with all malice. Now can I say this? We're listening to a guy who practiced this. We're listening to a guy who is writing this letter, who had been persecuted many times. Then he says in verse 32, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forsaken you. Don't let bitterness creep in your life. Don't let it get rooted in there that it begins to affect your testimony. I could just see Paul now. He could stand before Festus. He could stand before him and just says, I've had enough of this. I didn't do anything wrong, right? And get angry in his voice, becomes bitter to everybody. You can all go to hell. I could hear him. Couldn't you say that? Oh, people have said it. Don't tell me people haven't said it. It's what you're thinking. Tell somebody, go jump in a lake. Well, that's the lake of fire, isn't it? Yeah. You allow those bitterness and those feelings uh, to, to evolve and grow in your life. And they, they begin to affect you and affect your testimony to the point that nobody wants to be around you either. You don't have forgiveness in your heart. You don't have love in your heart. You're not trying to reach them for Jesus. You're not praying for people. You're praying for vengeance. That's, not, that's grieving the Holy Spirit in our life. And Paul doesn't do that. Paul just says, everything they said, I didn't do. And God knows it. And I really don't have to take the time to prove it. God knows it. And I trust the sovereignty of God. I'm just going to keep my life right before him. Jesus said what? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's powerful, isn't it? Well, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Read that last verse again, verse 32. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. I realize sometimes that takes, it, it's, a, it's a testimony of a spirit-filled believer. I, I realize sometimes it takes a lot. There are some people, man, it requires a lot. It requires a lot sometimes. But I don't answer for them. I do answer for me. 
And whether or not they have the power and spirit of God upon their life, that's between them and the Lord. I do want it in my life. I don't want anything hindering my prayers being answered. Sometimes you're going to get offended. Sometimes you're going to get hurt. How we respond gives us a good idea of who we are spiritually. Can we bow our heads? Musicians come.